Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking with special guest Kevin O'Connor of This Old House and Ask This Old House. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, everyone. I'm Tim Fowler, and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. One of the things that's really difficult for me to do is just keep thinking of topics and keep thinking of interesting areas to explore in this business. So if you have any ideas on things that might be worth talking about on this podcast, please shoot me a line at tim at remodelersadvantage.com and uh, we'll see what we can do about finding a guest that can help us understand those things. So today it's really exciting to have Kevin O'Connor on the show. Uh, This old house has been around for many, many years and uh, it's just going to be great to kind of get some of that information from him. Now, Television nowadays is a lot more full of construction shows, and I guess if I have to be honest about it, most of us in the business really don't like that because it always looks like everything just goes together seamlessly. It feels like you can tile a bathroom in 30 minutes and it's going to come out gorgeous. And so we kind of get uptight about these shows. I hear people complaining about the fact that they make it look so easy. But I think one of the things that um, is is important to understand is this old house is the granddaddy of them all. It was one of the first ones, if not the first one on the air. And it deals with real life. And that's kind of what we want to explore today as we're talking about uh, this old house and with Kevin about what's going on there. So we invited Kevin to come on today to talk about a wide array of topics. Um, I, I know this old house is involved in a lot of things other than just TV. And so we want to explore that and find out some of the details there. Understand they're very active in the skills gap that we see developing, which is huge. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that uh, on this trade show. So, Steve, what's your experience with this old house? Well, I, Tim, I've been watching as, as far back as I can remember, and especially as I got into construction and had my own business. It was really a running joke with my wife and I is, you know, I would have to put on a heart rate monitor to watch some of the other shows <laughs> because it, I would just try to spend the whole show pointing out things that weren't real. But this old house is just really based in reality for the person that's in the field who's actually doing the work. And you learn so much. And it's just it's an incredible resource for so many people. Yeah, it sounds good. Let's get going. Let's do it. Kevin O'Connor is the host of the Emmy Award winning series, This Old House and Ask This Old House. He has appeared on the two shows since 2003 and serves on the editorial board of This Old House magazine. Kevin is also the host of This New House, airing on the DIY Network, and host of Hidden History in Your House, airing on the History Channel's H2 Network. Kevin, along with his four brothers and two sisters, grew up on various job sites led by his father, a civil engineer. Years later, he remains an avid home enthusiast. 
When Kevin, a lifelong fan of this old house, and his wife Kathleen were renovating their 1892 Queen Anne Victorian, they sent an email seeking advice from the Ask This Old House experts. To their surprise and delight, the house called served as Kevin's first screen test to serve as the new host. This was the third host in the history of the Pioneer Home Improvement Series. Kevin received a Bachelor of Arts degree in History from the College of the Holy Cross and a Master's of Business Administration degree from Boston University. Prior to joining this old house, Kevin worked for Bank of America as a Senior Vice President in the Commercial Real Estate Group and before that in the Sports Finance Group at Fleet Bank. Originally from New Jersey, Kevin lives with his wife and three children north of Boston. Welcome to the show, Kevin. It's my pleasure to be here, fellas. I appreciate the invite very much. Well, this is pretty pretty exciting for both of us, and I think perhaps for the audience as well. So just give us a little bit of a, an update about what's going on at this old house. I, I think I heard that it's the 40th anniversary or something like that. It, it's hard to believe it's been around that long. Give us a little update of what's coming up. Sure. You've, you've heard correctly. Um, <laughs> that very first project in Dorchester, a neighborhood of Boston, uh, first went on the air uh, back in 1979. Uh, those were the Norm Abram, Bob Vila days. And uh, as you guys know, Norm is still with us and doing it 40 years later, as are uh, Richard Trithui, our plumber, who was there um, from that first season. Tom Silva, our general contractor, Roger Cook, our landscaper. So the band is still together. I wow. guess I'm the new guy in that respect. Yep. We're, we're still going. The formula is, I guess it's very similar to the formula that um, was started 40 years ago, which are, you know, this group of guys who are real contractors. You know, they all have their day jobs. They never stop performing as carpenters and landscapers and plumbers are still out there finding old houses in need of um, upkeep and renovation and just whacking away trying to get it done and as i say the formula is the real contractors working for the real homeowners 40th season for us means two new projects a net zero bungalow in rhode island a mid-century modern house um, in massachusetts and then crisscross in the country for 50 to 60 different house calls uh, that are part of our second show ask this old house so it's it's business as usual with a little bit of a smile that we're proud we're still around and still doing it 40 years later yeah that's pretty incredible so it just this question just popped into my mind so if if each of these guys has their own business running somewhere how do you work this out where they're on a tv program and running a business it seems to me like it has to be one or the other well, so the way we do our production is the television show follows the job site. Um, if Tom Silva, who's our general contractor, right. and Silver Brothers Construction is going to be pouring the concrete foundation for the addition next week, then the television crew is going to make a foundation scene next week. And so... Um, I've got some experience with the production process of the other shows that tend to be out there. And it is those shows are a, a television show first and foremost, dictating okay. the construction schedule. For us, it's a construction site first and foremost, and the TV cameras follow them around. And Tommy's on the job site doing what he does. The television shows up and films a day in the life of sort of on the job site. You know, it's a little more formal than that, a little bit more structured. 
But essentially, that's how he pulled off. And when Roger Cook comes in to do a landscaping scene, and he's actually the subcontractor for Silver Brothers, getting paid by the homeowner to put down the patio. When he's done putting down the patio, he's off to one of ten other projects he's working on with this company. And that, yeah. So this, so this just this just jumps into my head, going like, how in the world? Do you schedule that stuff? I mean, it just seems to me like uh, let's, let's just suppose they're going to do a foundation one day. You've got your production crew all set up to go in there and film that rascal. And uh, maybe an inspection doesn't pass or maybe there's a bad rainstorm or maybe uh, the client comes to you and goes like, you know what? Uh, we really want it to be two feet bigger. How do you how do you guys handle that? I think this is like this is like so cool. Well, the way we handle it is very similar to the way a typical contractor would handle it. When the rain comes and you got to pour three days later, you pour three days later. And the production crew uh, for television quickly scrambles and adapts, just like all the different subs on the job site would have to scramble and adapt. When the homeowner decides to go two feet longer, um, <laughs> it kind of shuts us down and pushes us back to the drawing board and the architect to get involved. And we'll either find something else to film in the meantime, uh, or we'll wait for those changes to happen and come back on the right day. We are not in television production every day, right. even though the guys are in you know construction and applying their trade every day. Everyone on the show, full-time contractor, except for me. So I'm kind of the guy on call. You know, when the schedule pushes back two weeks, they say, Kevin, guess what? We're not going to film that this week. You know, you go and do this and production people go and do that. And they keep working and banging away on the job site. So that's kind of how we handle it. And if you let the job site lead the production, it's not as complicated as it may sound. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you actually end up doing some Saturday, Sunday stuff just to kind of make things work? Uh, We have. um, Sometimes we're traveling. um, But for the most part, we don't need to do it from from a production standpoint. But I can assure you that the job site is running on Saturdays and Sundays <laughs> at some point during the schedule very regularly. Yeah, one of our one of our advocacies through Remodelers Advantage is a normal work week and a and a, a home life that you know gives you some stability as opposed to working all the time. But but it does happen. It does come up. So let's shift gears a little bit. And I mentioned in the the introduction that I understand that this old house has other things going on other than like TV production. And so one of the things that's been a big interest to both our um, listeners as well as the industry as a whole is the skills gap and trying to get young people into this trade or even picking up older people who are switching trades and trying to get into it. Um, Is this old house doing something with, with that? Um, very much so. We okay. have a program that's been up and running for a couple of years now. We call it Generation Next. Uh, and it's very much like you just described. It's got a couple of components. The first is sort of an awareness campaign, as you guys are aware, but our audience may not be. You know, there's a gigantic gap um, in the skills trades right now. Three to five million existing jobs unfilled because private companies can't find workers who are trained properly. 
that's a, a gap that's going to get worse before it gets better. So we're telling people about that. Right. We're also doing things to raise money for scholarships. Um, we've partnered with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, who's very eloquent about this problem and probably right. one of the most outspoken people in the country about it. So we've been able to take our resources and our network and raise half a million dollars to uh, for him, which we gave to him last year, which he put towards scholarships. And then my favorite part is, you know, we have a very large audience, you know, millions of people right. who watch a television show or read the magazine and such. Um, we have put out a casting call and we brought young people who have been interested in trying their hand at the trades and we've allowed them to come to our job site and be apprentices. And so they work next to our guys. They have a real job. They get paid for but we also put a microphone on them. And we turn them into a cast member for the season. And we let our audience see these young people who have made that sort of affirmative decision to say, yes, this is the path I've chosen and what's that life like. And it sort of normalizes it, but I think it's hopefully it will also sort of um, project an image to the audience that this is something you can do. And it can be a, a rewarding, lucrative career. Well, yeah, probably the most important message is to their parents that, you know, this can be something that uh, is really exciting to do and, again, can be profitable. It may not earn you the salary of a doctor or a lawyer, but it's going to be something that will take care of you, you know, at least as well as uh, you need to for your whole life. So I think that's a great, great thing. So just, again, if if somebody out there listening is interested in getting in touch with you guys about what you're doing with this, who, who would who would they contact? What email would they hit or what website might they go to? Thisoldhouse.com. Um, the name is Generation Next. You'll see it on our homepage. We've just opened up applications for next season. We currently have four young apprentices working with us on the current season, and we'll be looking for about the same number for next season. So if folks want to go to thisoldhouse.com, there's an application submission process um, and the doors are open, as they would say. That's fantastic. So it's really, really good. So let's talk a little bit. Are there other things that this old house is doing uh, in the community that might uh, kind of also get that message out there that construction is a great place to be and that the people in construction are good people. I think that's another one of those stereotypes that uh, is out there for us is that you're, oh, you're a contractor. You're going to cheat me. So <laughs> maybe is there other things that this old house is doing out in the community? There's, a, there's sort of a never-ending carousel of activities that we are involved with. You wow. know, it's a, it's a five-person ensemble, um, and the guys themselves, as I mentioned, all run their own construction companies. Correct. So they are involved, you know, in our communities with those, whether it's, you know, supporting local businesses, um, helping hands for people uh, in need. The organization itself does um, work with Habitat for Humanity. We've recently been working with a group down in North Carolina that is putting disadvantaged kids um, in front of tools and woodworking projects. In fact, it's, it's called Kids Making It, and it's one of the organizations where we found one of our young apprentices and we've stayed in touch with them. There's a speaking circuit. Um, there's participation in the trade shows, talking to large crowds about the generation that the, the list sort of goes on and on. It's mostly sort of deploying a very large megaphone, you know, through the television show, 
the names of folks who get the magazine or the website and the five guys who are out there, you know, banging away, trying to get this message out there. Sometimes with nothing more than their voice. Other times with a tool belt as well and the projects that we work on. That that's so cool. So let's let's get back to construction a little bit here. You mentioned uh, when we were first had you on that you got two projects going on this year with this old house. One of them is a net zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually in Jamestown, Rhode Island, which is kind of my backyard, so I might show up one day. Uh, and the other one is <laughs> mid-century modern. Um, like, give, give us a rundown on the net zero home, because we had somebody on from the Energy Center of Wisconsin a few shows back talking about all the advancements in energy savings. I'm just kind of curious, how's that going and, and what's sort of the emphasis there for the show? So the project itself is a bungalow. Um, Jamestown, Rhode Island, uh, as you know, Tim, is sort of a coastal community. So it's a, a little bungalow built in the 1920s. Sort of run down over the last couple of decades, covered in asbestos shingles, not great on the inside. Um, and our job is to add about a thousand square feet to a fourteen hundred square foot home, um, and in the process make it net zero. And so we're doing, and that has two equations, right? There's the consumption side and the production side. So we're doing a bunch of cool things. Some of the highlights for me, uh, the homeowner who we're working with is also the architect. So he's a super smart guy. The builder is extremely talented, and it's a great team. Some of the things that are interesting is that we, uh, the insulation package, for example, we insulated the interior walls, but we also went to great lengths to make sure that we wrapped the house in exterior insulation using the zip shield with the rigid foam insulation to the plywood. That went around the entire exterior. Um, We also uh, did an insulation package on the roof where, again, we insulated from the inside into the rafter bays, but then we put down um, eight inches of rock wool insulation on top of the existing roof, built a second roof on top of that. And that's pushing us to get our values in the 30s or 40s for the sidewall and the 50s or 60s for the roof assembly. Um, In addition to that, we used a very cool technology, Aero Barrier, where we air-sealed the house from the interior. Um, it's a very new technology, but basically you are atomizing a glue that turns into a mist. You're pressurizing the house, forcing the sticky mist out of the house. And as it leaks, it sticks to the leaky spots, the cracks and the gaps, and eventually fills those up. Wow. And not to be too technical, but we were able to take a house that had about four or five air changes per hour Right. And after one hour of this ceiling, we were able to get it down to one air change per hour. So it was a sort of a remarkable, effective way to air seal this house. Um, we've got solar panels. Uh, the, the architect designed a new garage. He made sure that it was a big, long roof, a salt box design. He pointed it due south. So we've got good production. We've got heat pump technology. Um, we've got variable um, speed refrigerants going through the house, whole host of things. And wow. that was the focus for the entire episode of the entire series was all of the different ways that we can deploy um, these technologies to get to net zero, which is harder to do on a retrofit. As you guys know, we're right. building new, right. we could control these things, but you know, how do you insulate an existing foundation? How do you get insulation on the floor under the house? How do you insulate two by four walls and get to the R value? 
the list goes on and on and on. So it's a comprehensive look at how to get the net zero on a nearly 100-year-old home. Yeah, and this is real stuff. Now, Kevin, has this, you yeah. know, there has been a huge shift into the net zero, the passive house, um, and so much energy efficiency. Has this always been a focus as in, at this old house, or has this been something that's developed over time in terms of the retrofit? I think it's o- I think it's always been a focus. I think you, um, you know, Steve, you might be able to say that the reasons behind doing it have evolved, mm-hmm. but 20 or 30 years ago, you know, when our guys were tearing apart houses, I mean, I think we were one of the first people to show spray foam insulation. Right. Richard Trithui has been talking about increasing the efficiencies of your heating and cooling plants mm-hmm. for literally 40 years. And, you know, back in 1979, I think there was some awareness because of the um, oil embargo and the price of gas and such like that. But mostly, I think the focus back then was improving comfort uh, and operation. Lately, I think with the sort of double whammy of costs of energy as well as the impact on the environment, it's maybe ramped up a little bit. But the good builder is always going to be trying to make the house perform at its maximum level Mm -hmm. and provide the homeowner with the maximum comfort. And that's always meant smart insulation, um, air sealing, whatever you can do. The, The technologies have come a lot further. So we're deploying different technologies today, but the philosophy has been the same, I think, over the last four decades. Yeah, yeah. I think your comment about the double whammy is really critical because if it's only about the environment, people do have trouble footing the bill. That was my experience when I first got into construction. Um, but then when it starts costing a lot more to pay the bills, the heating and cooling bills, than it does to actually do the the work, it, it seems to make sense to people. So what about the uh, second project that's coming up? What Give us a, a quick rundown of what that is. Uh, it's a 1957s mid-century modern. It's in Brookline, Massachusetts, which sits just next to Boston. Um, tight little lot in a sort of fairly dense urban neighborhood. Kind of a dog of a house, to be honest with you. Uh, But it's got the hallmarks of a mid-century modern. It has the vertical cedar siding. It's got the low sloping roofs, the large overhangs, the asymmetrical windows, the corner glass, these types of things. The homeowners um, love mid-century modern. They're going to stick with the style and have asked us to push it even further. Um, they're able to walk to work, so they're very sort of enamored with the neighborhood and the home. We're going to double the size of the house, go from about 1,100 square feet to 2,200 square feet. Um, and we're going to, you know, celebrate mid-century modern. So we're going to increase the amount of glass. We're going to play with those low sloping roof lines. The additions are going to be similar but not identical to the main house so that people will see the evolution of original house to new house. Um, people who like mid-century modern, I think are gonna enjoy the project and see its transformation, the multi-level, the open floor plan, the crisp, clean trim work or lack of trim in many cases. <laughs> right, right. And of course, along the way, tackling all the building challenges, how to you know, take out walls and put in steel beams, how to insulate the house, how to, you know, there is no second floor, so your ceiling is your roof, and right. now you've got a two by ten. How do you get the proper insulation to keep that house cold, warm, and toasty, and those types of things? So it's a, it's a typical this old house project. It just happens to be a little bit more of a modern home that we often work on. 
So a little bit earlier in the conversation, we talked about scheduling and how you guys work out that scheduling. And so I've just got a sense that our listeners are probably just sitting there going like, go ahead, Tim, ask him if anything goes wrong. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> let's, let's just, uh, as we're working towards the end of this podcast, let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that, some of the snafus or little uh, glitches or even big issues that have come up on the show, just anything that you can think about and maybe a little bit about how to solve them because all of our listeners, they have these problems that they face every day and we're always looking for creative solutions. So maybe something that you guys thought about will trigger something in a listener's mind and go, oh yeah, we can we can take that same tact. It might not be the same problem, but we can take that same sort of view of things. So I guess just I'm just asking if you can give us a couple of examples of things that haven't gone like you wanted them to, and then what the process is for you guys to solve that problem, and then uh, maybe how did you solve that problem? So just so everyone's clear, um, these little snafus happen to us all of the time. They don't always make it on television because quite honestly, they're not that interesting to us because <laughs> it's an old house we've been dealing with for 40 years, but, but they do happen right. all of the time. I'll give, you, I'll give you two examples on the current project. Um, the mid-century modern house had gutters coming off the roof, um, going back into the house into a storm drain, which then went back out of the house under the ground. And next to that storm drain was the sewer drain coming from the bathrooms, mm. the sinks and such like that. And the two of them went into the, the city main under the street, which by the way was installed back around the civil war to give wow. you a sense of how old that sewer system is. Right. And right. so of course these days the municipality would like you to separate storm water from sewer water right. so that we're not treating rainwater effectively. That starts a cascading list of follies. You know, we find out that those two pipes, instead of being separate underground, come together. Um, so now it's our responsibility to, to separate them. None of this was in the original plan. We are now digging up the public sidewalk. We're digging up the main road. We are <laughs> nine feet down into the city main. We have to extend one of these pipes across the street. We've got every building inspector from the town all over us looking at this thing. We've got excavators. And the reality is we're a week into this thing now and tens of thousands of dollars. Completely unexpected, never budgeted for. Um, and there we are having to sort of work with it. So that happens. You know, another example is because of the mid-century modern look, the homeowners were hoping for their old tile and wood floors to be turned into poor concrete. Oh, okay. Kind of a nice, polished, concrete look. You dig into it, um, you hope that it's going to happen, and then we find out as we start to peel the house apart that the flooring system would never be able to support the weight. So the quick alternative, you know, the homeowners rush out and try to find an alternative, and they end up with a massive four-foot square porcelain tile. It's a beautiful look. It's a great solution. Down it goes. But now all of a sudden you realize that what you thought was going to be close to an inch in dimension is now down to, say, a quarter inch or half inch because you're using a very thin porcelain tile. And guess what? Your framing, which you spent a lot of time figuring out for your <laughs> stair stringers and your risers, are all off. 
because your floor material is completely different. And, oh, wow. Well, you got to solve it. Yeah. Right. And so that, you know, that kind of stuff happens to us. And to your question about how do we handle it? Yeah. Well, you know, the homeowners make a decision based on real world experiences and you have to adapt. So you pull them in, you get the builder, you get the homeowner, you get the carpenter and you say, here are our options. What do you want to do? You know, you've got three options and you pick one and you execute and hopefully people um, are going to be sort of open and flexible to allow those things to happen. It goes on constantly on the job site, ours included. Oh, that's amazing. So well, while you were telling the story about the floor levels and the tile, I'm sitting here thinking about all the lead carpenters, project managers, production managers that are saying something like, those crazy designers, how come they don't think about these things when they're, you know, designating these tiles? So it's a, this is real life. And I, that, I think that example is just something that everybody listening can, can dig into and can understand and can relate to. So we're going to wrap this up, uh, Kevin. We really appreciate your being with us. Is there any kind of uh, last-minute little nugget of gold or something that you could share with us maybe that would uh, just kind of send us off on a real good note here? Well, you know, I think it's tied into that last example, you know, which is it's important for folks to remain flexible, and this is mostly towards the homeowners, but certainly the the contractors would be well served by being flexible as well, but mostly for the homeowners, you sort of need to be flexible. And you have to understand that perfection is not only difficult, but it's extremely expensive. And if you want to make your way through a renovation, um, if you want to make your way through a renovation and still have something left in your bank account and not you know, find a way to blame your contractor, you have to be flexible because nobody has the ability to see through walls, Nobody has the ability to anticipate problems like storm and sewer drop lines coming together. It's not somebody's fault most of the time. It's just a circumstance that exists. Stay flexible and creative and work the problem and get through it. And when you do, you'll be much happier. This is so fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. So, Kevin, uh, if we're going to tell our listeners how to get a hold of the or how to volunteer or donate to Generation Next, where can they go? Uh, again, to our website, thisoldhouse.com, okay. Generation Next. I believe it's forward slash Generation Next. There's a whole resources page there for companies and for people. Um, it's not a, you know, the, it's not really set up so that people can be writing checks and come out and swing hammers with us. You know, it's a, it's a publicity campaign, a marketing campaign, scholarship funds, those types of things. So I don't want, you know, people to think that there's a big long line of things um, that they can sort of immediately volunteer for. But the information is there. Um, and the, the opportunities for them to get involved are listed there as well. Great. Well, we appreciate all that you do on the show and hope to have you uh, potentially on the show in the future. Best of luck. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much again for the invite. Thank you. Take care. That was incredible. That's Tim, this is uh, really has this. Uh, it won't, next time we do the top five. I think that this one shoots to the top. <laughs> it, uh, it, it shoots way up there. So incredible what they're doing, uh, trying to work with the skills gap. I would say to people, maybe take this as a lesson. Uh, maybe you can't give them money, but maybe look at what they're doing with this apprenticeship program and start emulating it with your company. Get some of these kids in there on the job sites. Let their parents see 
what creative minds can do and what a great life we can uh, help people with. I just think there's so much here, and, and I'm, I'm just excited about this, uh, this podcast. Yeah, there's, well, what this old house has always done, it's always shown a sense of pride and just how great it can be to truly be uh, exceptional at a craft. And it, you know. Yeah, and I think the best thing about it is it's real life. Now, obviously, they can't show you everything that happens, but just hearing Kevin talk about some of these you know, snafus, it's so real. I, oh, again, yeah. I, I just was sitting here chuckling to myself about... You know, I can hear the the project managers just almost cussing under their breath about somebody that picked a tile that isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you've got the added element of producing a TV show when normally we just have a client, you know, and and some subs. So, well, listen, once again, we really want to thank Kevin O'Connor for joining us today. And as always, we want to thank you for joining us and listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, we're helping the bottom line through production training. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast-track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.